0: The following conversation is with Kramer Payne. Kramer is a 31-year-old pastor of Heart Church located on Fox Island near Gig Harbor, Washington. He decided with his wife, Alyssa, to go ahead and plant a church in the middle of a pandemic. Crazy! But what's cool is people have responded and it has been amazing to watch. I believe you will find his views about Faith insightful and what also you'll like are excerpts of the podcast that is meant for you to have greater conversation with small groups, with your friends, your neighbors, your family members. But also there is one specifically designed for young people. So I cannot wait for your response to this podcast. Please email me at podcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or also input. And also, I hope what you love about this is that you can take this podcast and increase conversation with the people that you love, the people that you work with, the people that you golf with, whatever it is. But more importantly, that know that Jesus does love you and Kramer. Wow. he He does a great job of communicating that. So thank you. Or listening if you like this podcast go ahead and like hit like that way every podcast that comes out you get to hear because future podcasts i guarantee you you're gonna love and previous ones holy cow they are amazing as well so thank you for listening to the andrew frost podcast and here is kramer Payne. last night was amazing oh thank you jesus so worship and prayer midweek Michael, I'm blanking on his last name. Monroe. Michael Monroe. That guy is amazing. Incredible. When people are experiencing worship together, what is really happening to not only the individual, but also the collective body?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I would say that the reason that I love worship and prayer night so much, and just worship in general, is that it changes, I believe, the posture of your heart. So individually as you're worshiping, you're taking everything off of yourself. You're taking all of your thoughts off of yourself, all of the meditations of your heart off yourself, your spirit off yourself, all the things that, at least I find myself, maybe you too, thinking about all the time constantly that focuses with us central to the story, and then we interject those thoughts or that spirit or that heart posture, and then we reinsert Jesus into the center of the story during worship. So individually that's happening, But then collectively in community, that's happening. So it's like now all of us with one voice are glorifying God together. So it's like with one heart posture, we're glorifying God together. So we're no longer like a bunch of individuals in community. Now we're just one big community because we're focused on centralized on the same thing, which is beautiful.
0: So the idea of worship, what is the definition of worship for people who don't know what worship is?
1: Yeah, I would say that worship is what I kind of just tried to explain would be glorifying the, the only one who is worthy, which if for believers in Jesus, that would be Jesus and Jesus alone, and like using all of our expressions. So whether that be, we just said a little bit of that through song, but you can worship while you're mowing the lawn. You can worship while you're drinking a cup of coffee. You can worship while you eat breakfast or don't eat breakfast, if you're like <laughs> Andrew and I. Uh, and worship is something that you do to glorify God. So it would be anything in your life that you would say that your main motive in that is to bring God glory, honor, praise, basically all of your being into his presence. So for people who say, well, I don't need to be part of a church. I can,
0: I can do this on my own. I can worship on my own, which you can worship as an individual like you just described. Totally. But the power of that collective mm-hmm. that we experienced last right. night and also every Sunday, what are people missing out on? when they avoid, because I see a couple people after the message, they walk out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and then, and I believe there's something going on where, you know, I'm not sure, you know, what's going on with, with them and their comfort level of worship. The power of that collective. Mm-hmm. I know you described it, but is there anything more you want to add to that?
1: Yeah, I would say when, when it comes to community and worship and community, I just go like, in the biblical narrative, you see community on the first page of the scriptures, Genesis 1, and it's like there's community right there. And then you go to just the life of Jesus, and he was always in community with people. And then I believe, and I believe it because scripture says it is true, that we can't experience the fullness of God without community, but then we also can't experience the fullness of each other Mm. without community. So when we go into a room and we worship together, whether that be through song or just like having a cup of coffee, my favorite part of church on Sunday morning is when we just linger in the lobby, right? Yes. So that's an extension of worship. But when we're together, yeah. we're actually more like Christ, or as if just individually, we're actually missing out on the best part of who the Lord God is, yes. which is community, yeah. you know? So I, I don't think that we can experience what we're supposed to experience unless we do it all together.
0: And that's what God designed us to be. Absolutely. That's great.
1: Yeah, and it's not always together in the sense of, um, like, you and I are together right now, but it doesn't have to be together with, sometimes I think we get it misunderstood that it has to be together with significant people. Sometimes it can just be together with strangers. So there's no less of an experience if you walk into, let's just say, a Sunday morning church gathering and you don't know a lot of people, well, that can still be a sense of community. Yeah because we're all made in the image and likeness of God. So there's, it, it's not like, oh, so I have to be with my best friends to experience that. No, no, oh, no. You know, you can find community anywhere. So you decided to plant a church
0: in Gig Harbor during the middle of a pandemic. Come on, let's now, go, Jesus. I got to ask you a question. Like how many people said, Kramer, you got a <laughs> great gig. Cause you're, you're, I shouldn't say gig, but you're, you know, you're a pastor of a, of a beloved local church and, and uh, had a, a really uh, a key position there, and you decided to, to do this. So what led you to decide to plant a church and give up comfort?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think that it was a few years in the making of a lot of times, uh, Alyssa, who's my wife, uh, get the gift to be married to her, uh, we kind of explain that story as like a seed that was under the ground for a long, long time, so no one see how it's germinating, no one's noticing how it's growing. We don't even know what's going to happen to it, meaning it's just a thought or something that we feel like Jesus put into our heart, almost like a calling, and then that calling turned into an obedience, almost to where I think that if the Lord God's asking you to do something, and you're like, huh, is that Jesus, or am I just making that up, and without doing it you feel like you would be disobedient to the call of God on your life, then it's like, well, you probably should do it then. Yes. Uh, so that's where we found ourselves, like this seed underneath the surface, in the dark, not really knowing what was to do. And then as Jesus gave more life to it, it started to spring up through the surface. Uh, and in the middle of a pandemic, not the most beautiful time to say, hey, we're going to plant a church. But what we realized, it was actually a beautiful reset for a lot of people in this city specifically and just in the world of like, a reordering of lives, a reordering of values, a reordering of time. And, and we had felt like, okay, if, if we're doing this, it's not for selfish reasons because it costs us everything. Uh, it's not for comfortable reasons because now we're going to be in the most uncomfortable place ever, yes. <laughs> uh, not knowing where we're going to get paid. Uh, Alyssa was 38 weeks pregnant with our son. And so it's like, okay, we're about to have two kiddos, no real job, I have no idea if anybody's going to be even interested in this idea of a church plant but then the most stark thing in that whole thing Andrew was but Jesus is asking us to do it so who am I going to go and seek approval for the living God who absolutely loves me and calls me beloved or people and comfort of the world uh, and for us our answer had to be the first one because if we're going to claim to follow Jesus you got to do exactly that follow Jesus even if it's uncomfortable even if at the time it makes no sense at all uh and even now like sitting here with you going man this is totally what the lord god has asked us to do and we'll stay faithful to it but it's only because jesus has brought us here you know
0: i think one of the things i loved about the very early beginning you said if this is not of jesus will i want it to fail absolutely and that's bold statement to make Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of times people will compromise because they want to
1: make sure they get get notif- noticed. Absolutely, as a success.
0: How do you address that idea?
1: Yeah. Uh, speaking of the worship worship night, Michael Monroe, who was down here, he uh, encouraged me just uh, in the life of Jesus as a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Um, someone who centers their life, orients their lives around the person of Jesus, uh, we can have no compromise because he is the only person central to our story. So I think for us to put that in a balance during the first beginning stages of even thinking about planting a church or then stepping out of what Jesus is bringing forth in planting a church, it was like, okay, we can't compromise in this because this is what the Lord God has asked us to do. Um, So When you put that into perspective, all of a sudden you kind of start to realize, I'm actually not that important. Mm. So my ego, which I think stands for edging God out, has to go away. And I have to like ruthlessly, joyfully be obedient to Jesus and realize there can be no compromise in my life if I'm actually going to follow him fullheartedly and faithfully. And sometimes, as you know, that's really joyful and fun. Yes, It's a yeah. blast. Like, I get to sit down here and be with you and talk talk about all this. <laughs> Other times, it's like, am I ever going to fall asleep tonight? Or are my wheels just going to keep on turning? And and that's the balance, though, you know? Well, since Heart Church, so actually, we didn't actually
0: say where Heart Church is, but Heart Church, located on Fox Island, next to uh, part of the community of Gig Harbor. You are a, a Gig Harbor kid, grew up here. Um, one of the things I've i What's been great about Heart Church Is watching just the Multi-generational Involvement of the community And also The church has grown mm-hmm. And it's been beautiful to watch Because of the, the Number of people and the type of Individuals that are coming To just experience um, Community and experience Jesus which I think is a beautiful thing to watch within the church. Let's go back to the idea of not compromising. Mm -hmm. So I believe there's a connection between the reason why the church has grown and your commitment to centering heart church around Jesus. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the idea that why some churches get it wrong and why some churches get it right and what's your message for those churches?
1: yeah I would say thanks for saying those kind words first um, and then I would I would say as well, it's hard to say or hard to want to say churches get it wrong and hard to want to say churches get it right. Mm. And for me, early on, I used to think mm-hmm. I used to think, oh man, that was a great sermon today or oh man, you know what that wasn't one of my best and then I realized all of them are bad, but Jesus is always good. so he always fills in for all the <laughs> gaps. And that's how I would answer the no compromise question and also the question of like, what is the church in America or in the world called to today? And it's really just to faithfully follow Jesus. And I think so much of the time, at least in generations past and, and still today, we desire to compromise because it'll make people feel more comfortable when I don't really want comfort for my life or for your life or for anyone's listening's life, and nor does Jesus. What Jesus wants for our lives is life and life to the full. And we confuse comfort with life and life to the full. And I think that's where sometimes we go, okay, we got to make sure that this is always meeting everybody's needs, whether that's the way the church is set up or the way in which we communicate the gospel or the way in which we want to be culturally relevant, rather than just going, you know what? I'm not going to compromise. Jesus is our comfort. So I'm just going to only point people to Jesus. So rather than having a sign that points somewhere else and then hoping that that points people to Jesus, let's just go, nope, let's get everything else out of the way. Here's Jesus, for in Jesus and Jesus alone is the fulfillment of all things. And at heart, that's what we've really tried to do, is what is the distraction? What is the culturally relevant trend? How how are we going to honor people? But not fall into the trap that culture and society dictate the ways of the world. The creator, the creator of the world dictates the ways of the world. Um, and that's just another reminder of like we don't battle against flesh and blood. You know, we, we battle against, scripture says, like, evil forces around us. Like there's a there's a battle going on that's more real than this one. So as the church, we gotta be committed to telling people, man, we gotta follow Jesus. We gotta live by the Spirit. We have to pray as Jesus prayed, Father God, your kingdom come, your will be done. And when that happens, that means my kingdom has to go, and that means my will has to go. And I don't think that's very sexy in society and culture today. So if a church is saying, oh, we just want to look just like culture, well, then when somebody walks into the walls of your church, walks into the people of church, and it looks just like everything else in the world, where's hope to be found then? Where's joy to be found then? Where is love to be found then? Because Jesus looks nothing like this world. So the church is not supposed to look anything like this world. It's supposed to look like a beautiful resistance to the world around it mm-hmm. that's marked with love, grace, mercy, um, and a beautiful display of like joy and freedom as an expression of the Spirit.
0: This is a perfect segue to we live in a culture that the church is in decline, and we've seen that for the last 50 years that changed the openly mocking of of Jesus as well as Christians and so for people who are like ah Jesus might have been here the bible is written by a bunch of dudes i question it and then there's also this non-biblical references to this man Jesus
1: mm-hmm.
0: where can you talk a little bit about the historical the historical reference of Jesus outside of the Bible, but then how that parallels perfectly with the Bible. Because when people learn about that, they're like, I never knew that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of my favorite things about the Bible and the person of Jesus is I believe the Scripture is a unified story that leads to Jesus. But then I also, if you really look into it, and I would encourage anyone listening to do this, Jesus is the most historically accurate person in the entire narrative of humanity. And you find that not even in the biblical narrative. You find that in history books all over the place. And then when you take the history books written by people, studied by brilliant minds, more brilliant than me, and then you parallel that with what we see about Jesus in Scripture, all of it is like, man, you can't make this stuff up. Like, you, you, how, how is there a book, the scriptures, the Holy Bible, so historically accurate and only points to the person of Jesus? And then when we take that outside of the context of that he's the living God and we just make him just a good moral teacher, well, then we've stripped, like, the, the son of God that he is and we've just made him another person. And we can't do that. So in history, so much, everything points to Jesus. And then in the Bible, so much, everything points to Jesus. One is declaring him Lord and God. The other is just declaring him, oh, great moral teacher. But the similarity between the two is also scary but spectacular. And it's scary because if we only look at the history books, we miss the truth that he's our living hope. And then the spectacular comes when we take the history of humanity and then yoke it up with the scriptures, the authority of God, and we go, oh, my goodness, look how much the Lord God absolutely loves us, that all of history and what is and what is now and what is to come revolves around the Lord God, and he includes us in the story.
0: I believe there's a, there's a Roman general, Roman guard, who actually has a firsthand account of Jesus. I don't know the man's name but uh, a biblical scholar uh, from years ago shared a, this. This is what he said, and this Roman guard saw what Jesus did, saw healings, and it's referenced in that, in that journal. Do you have other examples like that?
1: Yeah, so I would say one of, the, one of the most amazing examples is, like if a lot of people correlate like the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is where we get some of the biblical narrative from, but then there's other accounts in that that aren't in like the holy scriptures, but that give like that show similar to the Roman general story. Journals of people who were eyewitness accounts or or grandkids of eyewitness accounts that had scribbles of signs and wonders that they saw, things that were passed down that completely and totally accurately line up with the scriptures, and all of that is just the signpost of like. Wow, look, here's Jesus. And one of my favorite stories going off of what you just shared is in 1 John 1 of the Bible. It says, I've seen him, I've touched him, like I've heard him. And now I'm expressing what he has told me to you so that your joy may be complete. And that Roman guard that you're talking about, some say that he was an eyewitness of the cross. And John was the only other disciple to be an eyewitness of the cross. And both are found describing the same things meaning that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died and that he rose again. Uh, but one would have a whole culture and society that would say, nope, he's not the living God. And then obviously John, disciple of Jesus, yeah. would say he is the living God. But then it came to found out that the Roman guard in his, in his journalings professed faith in, in who Jesus was mm. because of the historical evidence. The, like, the idols of this age don't compare to the person of Jesus. Yeah. The people who are present watching jesus get crucified
0: they were impacted because they saw the son of the living god die and something transformed so if a woman who touches the cloak of jesus gets transformed and a man who is with horrible skin lesions gets touched by jesus and gets transformed then a person watching his death has to be transformed oh 100 what what would people experience at that moment when he died and suddenly there's something's going on in the in the, the universe.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if you even just look at that account in, in the scriptures, it says the ground shakes, the whole sky goes dark, and then one of the most beautiful parts, you know, the curtain of the temple is torn from top to bottom, and that has such incredible significance.
0: Can you describe that more? Because I think a lot of people hear that, the, the curtain was torn, but they don't really know what is that.
1: Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, is
0: that a real curtain, or is it a metaphorical
1: curtain? Yeah, so it's both a real curtain and also a beautiful metaphorical curtain. In the sense of the real curtain in the temple that day, it would have been set up to where behind the curtain was the only place where the high priest could go to enter and to be with the Holy of Holies, mm-hmm. meaning myself as an ordinary person, Andrew as an ordinary person, you as a listener as an ordinary person, could never go there. Uh, it was forbidden. But when Jesus died on the cross, he made a way for us to enter into relationship with the Lord God who absolutely loves mm-hmm. us again. So the curtain is torn, literally, in the temple that day, so that anyone and everyone in the city, no matter their story, no matter their background, no matter what, because of what Jesus did and who Jesus is, can enter into the Holy of Holies. And then it's also a metaphorical thing, because that's you and I now, mm-hmm. that it's not by our righteousness. It's not by our good works, not by our efforts, it's by grace and grace alone, as we profess in Jesus, and Jesus alone, faith in him, that we get to enter into the Holy of Holies, which is the presence of the Most High God. And if you look at that account, you talk about the death of Jesus, the ground shakes, the earth goes dark, and that is torn, to signify the creator of the world has just died. So the world itself, the earth, is groaning. And then the scripture testifies that Jesus is the light of the world. So... The light of the world just died, and now the land is in darkness. Mm. So those are two discouraging things. But then the most encouraging thing ever happens, the curtain of the temple is torn from top to bottom, meaning that the earth is groaning, the darkness is there, but take heart because the person who just died has made a way for you to enter into a new earth and a new light, new heaven, with him and him alone. So this is beautiful imagery. It's not just imagery; it's real. It really is, and that's where you and I get to enter into the story because of what Jesus did. I've been around thousands
0: of kids. Yeah, I mean, tens of thousands of kids over the years, (laughs) and so I've been able to uh, watch uh, young people really become impactful here at Heart Church, of leading not just their peers but adults, adults leading as well, and just it's it's been really cool to see kids who identify in Christ. And that is their first identification, is identity in Christ. What does it mean to identify in Christ? And what is the impact when a young person or an older person identifies in Christ?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think that what Jesus brings us is freedom and life and life from the full. But as we identify in him, we also find out the most true thing about us is that we're the beloved which means that we take on the identity of Jesus. So when Jesus baptized, comes up out of the water in the biblical narrative, a voice from heaven, Heavenly Father declares, this is my beloved son. So as we live into Jesus, take on the identity of Jesus, we too now get to be beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God. So you talk about young people identifying with Christ. What they're doing is claiming their God-given identity, saying, I'm a beloved now. And whether you're a young person or an old person, small person or a big person, when you identify as a beloved, as your most true identity of the Most High God, you have no more insecurity. You got more courage than you could ever find. You got no more sorrow. You got more joy than you could ever find. It does not mean that bad moments don't happen in your life, but what it does mean is that in your belovedness, clothed in your belovedness, you start living into a new way of living, which is empowered by the Holy Spirit following the way of Jesus, resting in the truth that the Heavenly Father delights in you. So when we watch young people lead this whole community, it's like, no wonder they're leading the whole community. They actually believe they're the beloved. The most important part about that is when you start to believe it, others can start to believe it too. So now there's a story that's, my life doesn't make sense anymore to somebody else. And like, what's so different about you? Why are you so loving? Why are you so joyful? Why are you like so caring? Why do you not care about yourself? Well, I'm a beloved. That's the only thing I care about now. And then somebody goes, tell me more about that. I, I want that kind of freedom. And that's what we're seeing young people do. And that changes a whole high school, a whole middle school, whole family unit, whole church community, whole city. And what an amazing thing that when you and I, all of us, really start to believe that we're the beloved, it changes everything about us and then changes everything the way that we relate to the community around us. And that's been one of the most... Awesome things ever, because the young people who are part of this church, it's like, they are the most bold, courageous, loving, joyful, kind, gentle people ever, in a time in society and culture, where most of the time, young people are labeled as anything but. Definitely. But the Heavenly Father labels them as the beloved. So that changes everything about their lives. Now they don't fit in anymore. Yeah. And it's awesome. I'm not going to, we don't need to get into numbers, because
0: we don't want to dwell there, but... There's a, a large contingent of middle and high school kids that are part of Heart Church, whether it is during Sunday morning or gatherings that happen on Sunday night and, um, I believe, Wednesday and Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. And so that has been a huge, incredible thing to observe. What can a young person do to impact their school? Because many kids do not identify in Christ. Absolutely. And we'll get into that real soon. But what can
1: a young person do to impact their peers. Yeah, I would say first and foremost, live into your own beloved identity. And I kind of correlate it to maybe you've been on an airplane before, but like they always do the training at the front. That's super boring. But, the, the, you know, they say if the mask ever drops of oxygen, make sure you secure your own first before mm-hmm. leaning over to secure your neighbors. <laughs> and I think that correlates so well because if you don't believe you're the beloved as a young person, you're going to walk into your high school or middle school and get devoured by what everybody else thinks about you. Even if you you follow Jesus, you have to really truly stand firm in the person of Jesus and his deep love for you so that when you go into the high school or middle school, you don't really care what other people think so that you can love them regardless of what they think about you. And I would say a really practical, easy way to do that, there are so many people who roam the halls of a high school or middle school who don't have anybody talk to them, Hmm. just say hi to them. Acknowledge them. Notice that they exist. Imagine if you walked throughout the whole high school day or middle school day and no one acknowledged you, and then you go home and you don't have that great of a home life. Your mom or your dad or whoever you live with don't acknowledge you. Maybe you don't play sports or you do play sports, but whatever you do for fun, people don't acknowledge you. Imagine if one day a beloved walked into that high school and started noticing people like Jesus would notice them started sitting with them at lunch like Jesus would sit with them at lunch started hanging out with them like Jesus hang out with them following up with them cared about not what they did for fun or what sports they played or what grades they got but just cared about who they are like cared about what made them tick what made them go what the stuff of life is for them and didn't measure them based off of if they're good or bad yes but just measured them based off the truth that they're made in the image and likeness of God like if a middle schooler did that if a high schooler did that the whole school would change. It would. Overnight, you know? And the cool part is people in this city and community are doing that. And high schools and, and middle schools are changing. But that's where I would go. you got to go all the way back to You cannot do that unless you put your own oxygen mask on first. Unless you're breathing in and out of your belovedness every single day.
0: It is amazing because I, I appreciate that, hey, just because you identify in Christ and, and everything's going well, there's still going to be difficult moments and and um, for me, I remember I was a martial artist and earned oh, yeah, you were. black belt. Yeah, but that was also became my identity, and that became my identity. Where if I won a tournament, I was great. If I lost a tournament, I sucked or mm-hmm. whatever that whatever that mindset I had about myself. And so I remember just thinking that my identity could not be martial arts anymore. So I quit martial arts and started to really focusing on on faith and we live in a culture where there are so many kids who are identifying whatever it is and and need we don't need to name them but we know that like i identify as being a black belt and identify it as being a principal identify as this and oh i yeah i identified jesus but that was on a back burner at Absolutely. different times, different phases of my life. And then and so when people start identifying in things not of Christ, but that becomes their their TikTok reel. That's a metaphor, right? Ooh, I like come that. On. But it's a real image of the idea that your their narrative is defined on something that's really not important. How can we help young people and older people? Because we're, we're all guilty of this. Maybe the way I would like you to answer this question is, you surround yourself with people. And how do they hold
1: you accountable? And how do they bolster you? Yeah, I would say that's a great way to answer this question. Because who you hang out with is who you become like. And all throughout the biblical narrative, Jesus spends the majority of his time with the Heavenly Father and the majority of his time with the fewest amount of people. So we get all excited because he's got big crowds. In church, we get all excited if we got big crowds. In life, we get all excited if we get big crowds. But who you hang out with directly impacts how you identify. So if you hang out with the Heavenly Father a lot, guess what you're going to identify as? A beloved. Full stop. Nothing else would go in front of it. Now, say I don't do that. Say I just, for the sake of um, a story, say I go to the mountain all the time and go snow skiing, which is not bad. Well, that's going to take over my identity because that's where I'm spending most of my time. That's also going to be what gives me the most value. That's also going to be where I find myself the most safe and the most loved. So if you spend your time in the throes of culture, in the throes of society, believing lies of the world, believing lies of, oh, I could just identify as this or that or whatever it makes me feel most comfortable, um, it's not going to turn out well for you. Because I always, I always feel like the first part of your heart, so everybody says, like, hey, follow your heart. It's horrible advice. <laughs> Do not follow your heart. Follow the one who made it. Mm. And the one who made it will give you your most true identity. Everything else is there to lie, steal, kill, and destroy. And who I surround myself with asks me really hard questions. Who I surround myself with has a willingness to say no to me. Who I surround myself with has a willingness to risk our friendship so that I stay ruthless, obedient to Jesus. Do you have people like that in your life? Mm. If not, you're going to find your identity really just mirroring whatever's easy and most comfortable, and whatever you think is, well, I'm just following my heart. And you can't do that. You need people in your life, community in your life, who are going to say, no, 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 don't follow your heart. Follow the one who made it. No, that's a lie from the enemy. Don't live into that. No, that's what the world says. Don't live into that. Now we're also say, specifically for the Jesus follower and for everybody else in the world, anything that we put before Jesus is a misplaced identity. So let's just say that I go, hey, I identify. I am a, this, this could step on toes. Maybe we don't want to do this. <laughs> uh, I identify as a Presbyterian Christian. Mm. Wait a minute. Aren't you just a Christian? I identify as a Republican Christian. Hold on. Aren't you just a follower of Jesus? I identify as a Democrat Christian. Wait a minute. Why the identifier before the word Christian? Scripture says, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. So it's not even us who live anymore, it's Jesus. So if we put anything before Jesus, whether that's the hot-button topics of today, whether that's the changing of how we view ourselves, whether that's male and female topics, if we put anything before Jesus, we've already misplaced our identity. Whether that's something silly has... I'm a snow skiing Christian or as something as serious as, oh, hey, I'm a gay Christian or, oh, hey, I'm a this or that or the other Christian, mm. whatever political or social ideology, it's misplaced because you and I can't be anything other than fully enveloped into Christ Jesus. Now, where it gets twisted is if we, the body of Christ, yell, scream, you know, rebuke, be mean, get upset. Jesus never does that in the narrative of Scripture. He always rebukes the hyper-religious people. So then the worst, and what people don't like to talk about the most, is if we say, oh, I'm a good Christian. Uh Uh-oh, are you sure? Because that's already a misplaced identity. That's probably the worst one, because that's what Jesus came and rebuked the most. That's the Pharisee. That's the religious. Jesus said, get out of here. There's no place for you in my kingdom. We can only identify as... A Christian, which would be just a follower of Jesus. No longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. And I think sometimes we want to walk on eggshells with that because we think it's unloving to people. The most loving thing in the entire world is Jesus. So if we go to him, there's no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no mocking. There's no looking at your sin and saying, do better, try harder. There's only love, only acceptance, only forgiveness, only freedom. But the invitation is always, come and follow me. And what it means to follow Jesus is to identify as, wait for it, a follower of Jesus. Full stop.
0: That makes me
1: uh,
0: kind of go into the idea that people, re- people don't like going to church because they feel, um, they feel like they are rebuked. They feel like they're, uh, people are, are mean or whatever. And I think it goes along with this idea of a good Christian. Because then you put in a value judgment before being a follower. Worst thing. And then that value judgment turns into that the the Pharisee who's in the church and he's boasting to Jesus about all the things he's done. And then the the sinner is right next to him, or probably several pews back or totally. in the corner.
1: <laughs> he's just, sitting in the back row with me because we're both messed up. <laughs> and he's
0: literally just He's on his knees just, like, please forgive me for I'm a sinner. Yeah. And I love that illustration because it was Jesus who told that story, that that sinner is, is more likely to go to heaven because he sees himself as that sinner. He sees himself as that broken person. But he also sees himself seeking the Heavenly Father. Absolutely. Whereas the Pharisees not. The Pharisees, I'm
1: a good Whatever exactly. that was. Yeah, it's a, uh, I would say one of the most common misconceptions, unfortunately, is that the church is not a welcoming place to go. Yeah. Now, I would say, on behalf of the church, I'm so sorry if that's ever been your experience. Yes. I am so sorry. The person of Jesus is never an unwelcoming place to go. And the church isn't a building The church is the people of Jesus. So therefore, as the body of Christ, we should be the most welcoming place to encounter. Hard part is, those identifiers that we just talked about, that story you just shared in the Bible, a lot of times that's what the church looks like. A bunch of religious people who are measuring people on if they're bad or good or not. And Jesus never came to take bad people and make them good. He came to take dead people and make them alive again. And that's me. I'm so messed up. I'm so dead in my sin. But thanks be to God, he shows me grace and mercy and makes me alive again. That's a daily thing. You know, it's not a one and done type thing. It's like, I need to daily come and be formed into the image of Jesus. So as the church, that's what we all need to be doing. Otherwise, someone's going to walk in and think, oh, I'm not as good as them. Or, oh, they're worse than me. And that's just, to be honest, detrimental the people coming to the truth of their identity as a beloved of the Most High God. Because if you and I are constantly and consistently calling people bad or constantly and consistently calling people good, when Jesus does neither, we're misrepresenting who Jesus is. Yes. Now, if we're constantly and consistently telling people that they are loved by the Most High God and invited into a relationship with Jesus, well, then everybody wins. Because no matter if you're good or bad, the answer is Jesus. And we never we never graduate from that. Like we never, you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, or if you're listening and you're not a follower of Jesus, we never graduate into being good people. We're always bad people. There's only one good, and his name's Jesus, and that's our only hope. You know. So I would just say, it's a sad moment for me. When I ever find myself at the end of a day going, "Oh man, I'm so, I was such a good person today," <laughs> immediately it's like, "Oh, I'm, I'm, that's not good. Oh, I got to call my friend Andrew and tell him that I I need to confess some sin that I thought I was a good person," and and I would say, that is the most encouraging thing about the church, is it's a place where bad people are, but it's a place where bad people are coming to know the truth that, man, I'm so dead in the ways of my flesh and the sin and my life. I need something outside myself to make me alive again. Not to make me good, but to make me alive.
0: Kramer, uh, I love that description. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Andrew.
0: And I think uh, this, uh, I just uh, wish that the people who are listening are inspired.
1: How can people find you? Yeah, we're here, uh, Heart Church, every Sunday morning, 10 a.m., and I'm here basically every Sunday morning, 10 a.m., uh, so that we can find me here. Uh, and other than that, you can find me hanging out with my good friend, Andrew Frost. All right. So what's the, uh, what's the website for Heart Church? Heart Church website is heartchurchnw.org, uh, and you can find out all the information there, as well as on Instagram, heartchurchnw.
0: Perfect. And so because people who, some of the people listening are going to be far, far away. And so my hope is that they are inspired by this message. If they're a young leader in the church, how can they have the, that confidence to say, I'm going to go out on a limb and listen to that calling of that seed that's now germinating underground? What would you say to them?
1: Yeah, I would say the encouragement from Jesus is that you are not the leader of tomorrow. You're the leader of right here and right now. And because of that truth, if you will humble yourself and ruthlessly and joyfully follow Jesus, you'll find that the desires of your heart are not your calling. The desires of your heart are Jesus. So our role as a young leader is just to stay faithful, no matter the cost. And by the way, that young leader can be any age. Come
0: on. Because we're all young at heart. We better be, because right. without being a child, you can't to the kingdom of God. <laughs> Thank you, Kramer.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate you. So grateful for you.
0: And make it a glorious day.